inside. So what's your name? You can't take a picture of me. It's against the law to take a yeah. picture of me. Okay. Actually, it's against okay. the law to take a picture. Right. So, so if you want to, I'll call them and tell them. Yeah, you, can, to take yeah you call the police. Then. Yeah. You better delete the picture off the phone. Okay. I'm in Canadian Tire, and this man here will refusing to allow me to buy a saw. Camillo Capo starts recording this encounter with a Canadian Tire employee on Facebook Live, and with good reason. Capo had gone into the Regina store to buy a chainsaw, but was accused of shoplifting. When he went to purchase the saw, he discovered a problem with it and left it and a spare chain at the customer service desk. But for some reason, the employee is suspicious. Capo keeps recording the confrontation which is not against the law. The employee tries to grab his phone and pushes him out of the store. After thousands of people saw Capo's video, Canadian Tire apologized and said the employee was no longer with the company. Capo is from the Muscopitang First Nation. For Indigenous peoples in Canada, these encounters are all too common. The discrimination they experience starts with unconscious bias. In fact, the discrimination directed at all racialized peoples begins with deeply seated assumptions learned early in life. We'll explore unconscious bias in this episode of We Are the Cougars, Diversity and Inclusion Education. Second down and four. Kaepernick keeps it. Fooled everybody. Colin Kaepernick. What a game. Uh, original name. That's a black man named Cassius Clay was my slave name. I'm no longer a slave. And here comes Robinson trying to steal home. He's safe, says the ump. I went on the courts with just a ball and a racket and a hope, and, and that's all I had. Being a First Nations kid, like there's not many in the NHL, so I was just thinking, you know, it's, it's a, it would be just a dream come true to get picked by anybody. Hi, and welcome to We Are the Cougars, Diversity and Inclusion Education, a podcast series produced at Mount Royal University. I'm Brad Clark. I teach on issues of race in the media and ethics in the School of Communication Studies. This podcast is coming to you from Mount Royal University, which is located in the traditional territories of the Nitsitapi Blackfoot and the people of the Treaty 7 region in southern Alberta, which includes the Siksika, the Bagani, the Kainai, the Sutina, and the Iahe Nakoda. The city of Calgary is also home to the Métis Nation. Cougars Athletics and Recreation condemns racism and oppression. Mount Royal University strives to provide an education and experience that is equitable and inclusive. In this episode, we'll examine the relationship between unconscious bias and racism. Today, we're talking to Mount Royal University's Steve Kootenay Jobin from the Iniscom Center. Hello, everyone. My name is Steve Kootenay Jobin. My traditional name is Natoya Pigsky, which translates to Holy Bird, that was gifted to me by Elder McSeekum, Clarence Wolfleg. Weldon Ceremony at Mount Royal University. I'm the Indigenous Housing and Events Coordinator in the Uniscom Center at Mount Royal University. And I have been in my role for the last six years, but I also planted my roots at Mount Royal long before. I did my undergraduate degree in sociology at Mount Royal. When I began attending post-secondary, uh, truth and reconciliation had not yet become a topic. The focus of indigenization or decolonization was not yet a major initiative on campus. So as a first-generation Indigenous university student, I instantly fell in love with sociology the very first time that I took the course. Steve says at that time, there were no Indigenous studies courses, and a lot of university subjects never looked at Indigenous peoples and the inequalities that they experience. When I was in my first sociology class, that is when I really heard 
you know, the struggles and the realities of marginalized individuals like myself when it comes to regarding race, gender, socioeconomic status, class, and the struggles with religion and identity and so on. That's really where my passion for education was founded in, and it's where my passion comes from as a sociologist that has been working within Mount Royal, but also within the community for a number of years. I've done a lot of anti-racism work. I have sat on several Indigenous committees across the city regarding missing murdered Indigenous women and girls, focusing on decolonization, as well as work towards truth and reconciliation. Steve was the recipient of the Chief David Crowchild Memorial Award from the City of Calgary in recognition of his work building and bettering race relationships between Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples. On campus, he's been involved in initiatives to address systemic racism and inequality, and he's an advocate and voice of support for Indigenous students and Indigenous knowledge and ways of knowing. In his experience, unconscious bias starts early in life and evolves into harmful assumptions. Unconscious biases, they're social stereotypes about certain groups or individuals, and they're formed from our own unconscious awareness. And, you know, I often say, like, within Canada, you know, we like to say that we are very accepting, that we are very diverse, but, you know, as individuals, as social beings, we all have our own unconscious biases. Unfortunately, I like to say within Canada that we have a form of adopting smiling racism. We often like to point to our neighbours to the south, in the U.S. where we're looking at race relations, but we often forget the history and also what Canada was founded on through colonization and the oppression of Indigenous individuals. Unconscious biases, they are part of our brain and we act and respond so quickly that we don't even know that they're happening. You know, unconscious biases, they form from a very, very young age and oftentimes they're taught to us right in our household. You know, we are being taught from a young age by our caregivers, by our parents, by our families and by our community members, what is right and wrong, what is hot and cold, what is black and white. But unfortunately, with all of the good teachings that are passed down to us, we also have some very negative teachings that are passed down to us. And those are often in the form of unconscious biases. Things like race, race is a social construct, and it's also further... Uh, it's further provoked and goes into systemic racism through forms of unconscious biases. These are going to be ways that people react, you know. It's very, you know, going out within society, within Canada, we always look at racism as being the very loud and extreme, the hateful racism. That could be a negative comment directed towards a person of colour, an Indigenous person. There's often slang and words that are meant to deteriorate, but to bring us down. But when we're looking at unconscious bias and systemic racism within Canadian society, it's very, you know, that does happen, but we're not seeing it in the extreme amounts that we would like to think and how we code ourselves towards racism. And racism has a very negative association and stigma associated with it. But it's through our unconscious bias that we reinforce these social stigmas and these racism. It's going to be the way that a person could interact with a person of color, an Indigenous individual. It's going to be walking down the street, you know, and maybe seeing a group of Indigenous peoples coming towards you. Maybe you're going to walk across to the other side. It's going to be when we are out in restaurants, when we are getting spoken to in a turn, in a tone that almost seems like it's somebody speaking down to us. It's going to be us getting not the proper service when we're in line at Walmart or when we're in Superstore. It's going to be me walking in, you know, with a post-secondary degree, you know, 
uh, with a good job and a career when I'm wearing a hoodie and I'm wearing sweatpants and I want to go shopping at Superstore and I'm getting followed around by the security guard. Getting followed through stores is one thing, but when unconscious bias turns violent, it can be deeply traumatic. Godi GB found himself in this situation about two years ago. Godi plays middle for the Cougars men's volleyball team and is in his fifth year studying health science. He was coming home from practice late one night in January, waiting for a bus at the Brentwood station. The next thing he knew, someone jumped him, punched him in the face, and he fell to the ground, afraid for his life. But the attacker seemed to figure out Godi wasn't who he thought he was, and he ran away. He thought I was this black guy who was tall and dark and was ready to get drugs of some sort, when in fact I was just an innocent kid who was basically looking to go to school the next day and just live a normal life. So he ran away. I was very frustrated. I was very angry. I wanted to get him, but at the same time, my bus just arrived, so I went home. Godi says he wasn't sure what to do or what to say about it. He had a black eye, and some people seemed to think it was funny. It has really just made me feel like I can never really say my stories. They wouldn't understand me. They wouldn't get me. It feels like anything I will say, some of them will just believe it's a complete falsehood or something. Whether it's a racist comment or an abrasive server or store clerk or something much worse, Steve suggests the roots of that discrimination are deep. And it's hard to even catch us when we are practicing these unconscious biases because we just truly don't know from a very young age, like feeling hot and cold, but knowing what's black and white, these unconscious biases continue to perpetuate. It's going to be a lot of work to unlearn it because you have to literally stop, catch yourself in those moments deconstruct some of these uh, stereotypes and biases. And a really good way of being able to do that is being able to maybe talk with individuals of these groups that you may have biases about, you know, to really humanize the experience, but to really learn their perception. And it's something that I have to go through as an Indigenous person on a daily basis. My passion is working in awareness and building relationships and a sense of understanding. And when it comes to unconscious biases, I always have to tell people, you know, when I'm doing presentations, this is my passion. I'm here to teach. I want to correct, you know, the unknowing that or the assumptions that you may have that are building to these further and further relationships between Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples. Tell me, what do you truly think? It's not going to be until we truly get to that sense of understanding and what they are truly thinking in their mind towards a group or individual that we're going to be able to pinpoint but also be able to go back when people bring up and as indigenous people we're dealing with you know either high amounts of addiction there's a lot of uh, misinformation about government funds or you know taxpayers providing funds for us there's a lack of education but misunderstanding and these stereotypes perpetuate towards us and oftentimes when you go back to an individual and they'll share their assumptions I ask them as a learning mechanism, I'll be like, well, who first ever told you that? And they'll go back and they'll trace back and they'll often come up to a dinnertime conversation. It could come to an interaction with a grandparent or an auntie or uncle, and then we'll be able to provide insight, but trying to really deconstruct what their ideologies are towards a group or an individual. And with the unconscious biases, it's going to be a lot of work because it's not just, it's not an individual thing. This is all embedded through a Canadian society. 
You know, we are a nation that is founded on the history of colonization. It's that the genocide of indigenous individuals on a race and religion and group of people coming to these lands who wanted to do away with our lifestyle, our beliefs, simply because they viewed us as inferior and savage because we didn't speak a European language and we did not follow a European organized religion either. And that is deeply vested within our Canadian society, within our education system. And that's how we're continuously perpetuating unconscious biases within our societies. Colonialism continues to provide the foundation for these biases and the resulting systemic racism. Even when we are trying to call for supports, you know, services that are supposed to be government funded, things like policing, things like healthcare, it's these biases in the way that these individuals, although they may be members of, say, a police force, they may be a nurse or a doctor, or they may be a person working within the child welfare fields. When we have these unconscious biases and these assumptions, the way that individuals interact with Indigenous peoples or people of colour totally taints the interaction. This is how we are having more Black, Indigenous and people of colour who are being pulled over, who are being carded more, who are more likely to have negative interactions or not get the treatment that they deserve. I have had family members who have called the police because they were in a moment of distress. They have called ambulances because they were wounded. And when the paramedics or the RCMP or police officers are arriving, it is the blame and it also the lack of respect, but also the service that's being provided where it totally either puts blame or it dismisses an individual's claim. We're not getting responded to in the exact same amount. This is how we are having people who are dying when we have Indigenous individuals who are checking into hospitals because they are feeling sick, getting uh, assumed for being intoxicated. Meanwhile, they are dying from a diabetic coma inside of the waiting room. This is how we have individuals who are having extreme amounts of police brutality as well as other individuals and a very, very high number of children who are being taken in to the child welfare system who are Indigenous. And in some provinces and territories, the number is about 90%. Steve points out that Indigenous peoples are sent to prison at a much higher rate than non-Indigenous. They're twice as likely to develop diabetes and five times more likely to go to emergency rooms because of opioids and narcotics. And you have to ask yourself, is this that Indigenous individuals are doing more crimes or they're doing more things to have their children taken from us? Or is it that we're more likely to be stopped? Is it more likely that we are to not receive the same uh, treatment? Is it more likely that we're going to be profiled? Because those are all the assumptions that we're dealing with. And that's where we have many of our people in the Indigenous communities who are living in fear. It prevents us from seeking medical attention when we need it because we're fearful of the systemic racism we're going to encounter at the hospital. We're afraid to bring our children when they're having diaper rashes, when they're suffering from any sicknesses to the hospital because we're worried about them being taken away. When we're in moments of distress, we're worried about calling the RCMP to come to our houses or city police to come to our houses because we're worried about systemic racism in the child welfare system and the justice system, the removal of our children. And also it just, it's continuous and ongoing. And this is how these assumptions impact us in such negative ways. And that's on a very large scale. That's when we're looking at very like government organizations, government services, health and justice. But these assumptions, this is where it goes more in our day-to-day interactions, where we go right back to the supermarkets. You know, we see individuals who are being attacked, not being treated properly, simply because of our race or identity as Indigenous individuals how likely are more people going to be to step up?
a quick story I could share when we're talking about assumptions and the unfair treatment from unconscious bias is uh, about uh, two years ago, my mother's a social worker and uh, she was downtown taking a family to uh, in from the cold. After she had brought the family to the shelter and they got registered, she was heading back to her place of work. And in that time, there was a very, um, she ran into a former client from years ago. Uh, unfortunately, this client had a very, very tough life and went down a path of addiction. This uh, former client began attacking my mother physically. And my mother is like in her 50s. She began attacking my mother physically. And my mother, as an Indigenous professional, began screaming and crying, and crying for help. She ran to, there's a gas station on McLeod Trail. On the cloud just right by downtown, and uh, she ran to the gas station and began knocking on the door and screaming like, "Help! Help! Call the police!" The owner came and just grabbed the door and closed it and locked it and said, "You know, you Indians, you are crazy. You stay out there." My mom screamed and cried for over 15 minutes for help, and people were walking by. Nobody was stopping or taking help. They just seen two Indigenous women rolling around on the floor. Meanwhile, finally, my mom was able to maneuver and get on top of her and continued screaming for help. And then eventually, a gentleman stopped and she asked him to call the police and said that she's a social worker, that she doesn't know, she doesn't know this individual, that she has her confused former client. And then finally, when the police, it took quite a while for the police to respond. And then when the police responded, the treatment that my mother got, but the no follow-up of anything. There were no charges being laid. Her glasses, $500 glasses, completely broken. The amount of support that she got, but then also the needing to tell my mom to calm down. But no, no follow-up at all whatsoever. And, you know, just completely dismissed. They refused to give my mother uh, the information of the police officer and just dismissed her on her way. And my mom made her way back to her place of work not being able to see with broken glasses and then went on to explain to her employer what had happened and we have to ask ourselves if this was a different case scenario if this was a white woman a white social worker being attacked downtown calgary next to a gas station what would the response have been would the doors have been locked would the blame have been put on the white social worker and what would what would the response have been from the police officers and how would the follow-up come I'm Connie Walker, and this is Missing and Murdered, Finding Cleo, an investigative podcast by CBC News. The assumption that First Nations people were somehow less civilized resulted in the tragedy of the 60s scoop, where a generation of Indigenous children were taken from their parents, their communities, and their cultures by settler governments. In this CBC podcast, Connie Walker tries to find out what happened to Cleo, a young Cree girl separated from her family and put up for adoption by a white family almost 50 years ago. One of the issues discussed is a purple birthmark known as a Mongolian spot, which appears on the lower backs or buttocks of Indigenous and Asian peoples. When we were originally apprehended, my, my adoptive mother had told me that I, I was abused. I said, what? She goes, yeah, your, your bum was blue. And she goes, but then we started realizing that when the spot stayed there and you were three years old four years old it was still there then we realized no no you weren't abused birthmarks assumed to be bruises assumed to be abuse that's unconscious bias we are 
in a society that is founded on colonization. Colonization is based on a hierarchy of superior racial belief of a group of individuals due to language, due to religion, that felt dominant and superior and viewed indigenous people as inferior. You know, colonization has done a tremendous amount of stripping indigenous peoples of our cultures, our languages, our identities. It has created a society that embodies systemic racism, but also it has created a disappearing and blanketed, almost an invisible blanket in most Canadian uh, in most Canadians to even see that systemic racism and legal treatment is a reality within society. You know, we have had systemic racism <laughs> impact us in so many ways to be un to be represented in all of the highest rates of social, political, and economic inequalities with the highest amount of our people who are living in poverty. It has created so much disdain and the view of Indigenous peoples of being less than as not being worthy that we are struggling every single day to achieve things that most Canadians take for granted, things like clean drinking water, things like a good quality housing, education, and healthcare or justice system. It has eradicated and diminished us to have a view that is so negative of Indigenous peoples that we are dealing with systemic racism in society on a variety of levels. And, you know, through having colonization on our society through a colonial lens, it has just created a total disdain where most individuals have either little to no interaction, but very negative views towards Indigenous individuals. And it has created such a high amount of internalized oppression in, in, in Indigenous individuals that so many of our people are left with a feeling of hopelessness. Another very sad statistic is that we have the highest rate of suicides within Canada as Indigenous peoples. You know, on reserve, it's seven, three to seven times higher. Up in the north for the Inuit, it's 11 times higher. I imagine we feeling so hopeless within a society that the only better option is to commit suicide and not be in a society that hates you and has trained you to hate yourself. It's really hard to be able to see a beacon of hope or a light that there's going to be a better tomorrow when it's not just you who's struggling as an individual, but you have your entire community and your entire family that are trying to overcome <laughs> amounts of poverty. You're trying to reach levels of education to break all of these cycles. You know, you're trying to impact and influence to communities to have pride to be sustainable don't have to worry about day-to-day -day basic needs like most canadians don't and that's exactly where we have a society that is so embodied in colonization that it has created a whole negative view on unconscious bias and systemic racism for indigenous individuals but has also impacted indigenous individuals where there is in some not the sense of pride we are dealing with so much loss of identity and struggle where we sometimes feel like we are lost and are always looking for a connection to self. We're trying to relearn. And it is when we have our individuals who are decolonizing, who are looking to regain their culture, their identity, their spirituality, when they become such strong individuals and being able to learn to walk in both worlds. And that is such a very, very big challenge. And we're seeing more of our community members do that today and are stepping away from the colonial lens of the colonial mindset. And it's through initiatives like this that I hope we get to continue down this path of decolonization and work towards truth and reconciliation and have indigenization one day. 
and in a society where we're not going to have our peoples and our communities so far separated simply because of our race, our culture, our spiritualities, or our identities. Sport has been another area where the legacy of colonization has often sown division. As Indigenous peoples, we were not allowed to participate in sports. Even still to this day, there is a lot of separation between, say, minor hockey leagues or minor sports associations, and we have our own native leagues, you know, and especially here within Treaty 7, we have a huge influence of rodeo and cowboys simply because that was the very, very first sport that we were permitted to be able to participate in. But of course, there was always the Indian rodeo and then the Western rodeo that separated. And we have a lot of very talented Indigenous individuals within the world of sport. But unfortunately, a lot of our talent goes untapped because we don't have those connections with some of the other leagues where some of our uh, where Indigenous peoples could also be located, but also some of the realities of being able to being able to participate within sport. You know, we often hear of the boys club. We hear, you know, boys will be boys, but also what goes on within the locker room and also what goes on within the arena or within the rink. Oftentimes when we're looking at sports teams, in particular males, we are dealing with a lot of racist, homophobic, <laughs> hyper-toxic masculinity individuals. And there have been many, many cases over the years, especially when there's either been Indigenous players or Indigenous uh, sports teams, the amount of racism that they are facing when they are going to arenas to face other teams, things that are being thrown on the ice. We'll often hear a little war call or something like that thrown out. And just a lot of slander and hateful words and names that are thrown out completely. And some of these are just against little kids. There was one case in the news very recently at SAIT where uh, one of the players had went through this as well on uh, the women's team. And then there's also stories of uh, out east and here throughout Alberta where, you know, the young, like young teens, like little children, like early teens around 10, they're pulling up on the ice and they hear the amount of racist remarks that are coming out. And there's even been times where associations have been banned from certain arenas simply because they are native run events and who knows what happened, but a lot of issues with being able to participate like equally, but also having the opportunities. And that's where a lot of when we go back to unconscious bias, because of the assumptions, either people not viewing the reserve is safe as being individuals having it, we're not getting afforded those same opportunities that other people would say in large urban centers or who may not be black indigenous or a person of color. But Steve has been happy to see some progress recently when it comes to team names, mascots and imagery. So I've actually studied it a lot throughout university, but also referenced it a lot with our culture not being a trend, but also having the cultural appropriation of individuals who are wearing items that are very sacred to us, things such as headdresses, not wearing them in ceremony, but wearing them as a show of support for a team. But also it goes back to the part where through colonization, we were not allowed to be ourselves, but we could have other individuals, you know, through colonization, it was outlawed until the 1950s. We couldn't practice our traditional dance. We couldn't practice our culture. We couldn't wear traditional outfits. We couldn't have our powwows. We couldn't have our ceremonies. But meanwhile, all these sports teams are popping up and, you know, they're able to say, they're able to appropriate our culture. 
They're able to wear ceremonial items. <laughs> They're able to parade us around, sometimes with derogatory names, a derogatory picture. And for them, it's okay to play Indian, but it wasn't okay for us to actually be ourselves as Indigenous individuals with our cultures or identities. And because of what the government has done through that and having it outlawed with their cultural practices and ceremonies, we are struggling now to be able to regain and relearn our cultures, our languages, and our identities. Meanwhile, our ceremonial and our spiritual significance of items, things like the headdress or the drums, are just being tossed around in mainstream media within the sports teams. The way forward is to talk, listen, and learn. We need to have those uncomfortable conversations. As I shared with you earlier, unconscious bias is formed, oftentimes in our households, they're around individuals who are closest to us. And when we're around our dinner table with our family and our closest friends, that is when we remove our mask. We remove our outside society mask. We take off our professional hats. We take off our school hats. That is when we are having the realest of the real conversations with individuals within our household who we feel so comfortable with that we are letting our, our unconscious mind truly flow. You know, as individuals, I encourage you, learn more about people who are from different backgrounds. Take an opportunity to connect with an Indigenous person. Take an opportunity to connect with a Black person. Take an opportunity to connect with someone who was born from outside of this country, who's of a different religion, who's of a different gender identity, who is of a different sexual identity preference. You know, get out there and speak with those individuals. Take an opportunity to learn more. We need to humanize ourselves as individuals because when we look at these constructs that separate us based on race, gender, sexuality, religion, when we get into all of these little boxes, we continue painting these boxes and build layers and layers around them where we have almost this like completed picture. But when you have the opportunity to learn more, you're going to be taking that information, you're going to be deconstructing, maybe repainting that picture into a better understanding. You'll see we don't have as much differences as we have way more in common, as a matter of fact. But when you learn about these histories, when you learn about these peoples, take the opportunity to stand up. Take the opportunity to correct someone if they're passing down hateful, discriminatory information. You know, take the opportunity to correct someone if they are saying something that is false, something that is stereotypical. It's going to be through these small conversations when we change people's perceptions, when we have these interactions, that we're going to see a huge progress and a shift within society. We could have as much laws and policies, you know, to say that there should be equal treatment by law, that we're going to have policies of multiculturalism, we're going to have policies of indigenous but equality under the law or equality under policy does not equate to equality within society. We all have work as individuals to address these unconscious biases. We have a role to be able to learn more, to continue to work on building people up who are within marginalized communities or within marginalized identities. Take the opportunity to learn more than what you're familiar with. And that's when we're truly going to get to better race relations and a better understanding. And it'll be a great movement towards truth and reconciliation where our communities and peoples are not divided by the color of their skin, by their beliefs or their languages or their cultures. Steve is encouraged by initiatives like this podcast series, but he especially admires the students at Mount Royal who have been driving the uncomfortable, candid conversations that need to happen.
The We Are the Cougars Diversity and Inclusion Education podcast is produced by Cougar Athletics and Recreation. Alex Brody, Stu Blay, and me. We'd like to thank Ornella Nzinduki Yimana, Marty Clark, Steve Kootenay Jobin, and Janelle Morris for their insights, wisdom, and knowledge. We'd also like to thank members of the Cougars BIPOC Committee who initiated and guided this project. More information about the We Are the Cougars Diversity and Inclusion Education podcast is available online at mrucougars.com. I'm Brad Clark. Thanks for listening. Thank you.